Well, welcome to part three of our series, where we're, uh, the title of which is Unstuck. And ironically, this should be part four, but uh, we had to take a week off because we were all stuck in the snow. So I think that was God's way of just ha- kind of messing with us. And, um, but today is part three, and simply put, we've been looking at uh, simple areas of life where it's common for us to get stuck. Now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's um, that we tend to blame people around us or blame the environment around us. But whenever we get stuck, we tend to just keep doing whatever it was that got us there. So here you go. What got you stuck will not get you out. The good news is that God gives us simple words of wisdom to understand uh, specific areas of life so that if and when we do get stuck or simply to avoid getting stuck, we can stay on a path that steers us clear of that. Now, one thing we talked about in the first week, which I think is a great rule of thumb when it comes to areas of life you can get stuck, is simply this. That when you're stuck, a lot of times what needs to happen is not a change in the things around you, but what needs to change is something in you. Getting unstuck has more to do with the change in you than changing factors around you. And today we're going to get really real with that idea. Because we're going to talk about a topic that... um, Many of us might uh, wrestle with or we don't want to talk about or we'd rather ignore. And kind of the big topic for today, which I'm going to narrow down in just a little bit, is what to do or how to handle it when you get financially stuck or stuck financially. Now let me explain real quickly why this is kind of a complicated thing to, to, to dig into and the reason is, it's on most weeks, it's real easy for, for us to stand up here on Sunday because basically all we do, like here's why it's easy to, to be up here. All we do is on Sunday mornings, we talk about the things people are talking about the rest of the week. Areas of life, things on your mind, what's, what's culture doing, what's the climate. I mean, all, all the conversations you have out in the world, all we do is we bring those conversations into here. But what about finances? A quick observation. So we moved into a new house maybe six, seven months ago, and we were meeting all the neighbors, and inevitably I meet all the guys, I shake their hands, and the first question they ask is, what do you do for a living? Like that's how we identify, and that's how we figure out who people are. Not a single neighbor asked me, so how much money do you make? Has anyone ever asked you that? Well, how much money do you make? Oh, how much money is in your, in your checking account? How much money you got saved up for retirement? We don't talk about that stuff. That is severely off limits. So as we try to engage in a conversation up here about finances, it's like, okay, well, where do we start? And then I started thinking about, okay, this is going to be easy. This will be real easy because I did some quick Googling, and I already kind of knew it before Google, but debt is a thing in America. 80% of people are in debt, but that's not really fair to, to hang anything on because that includes, includes mortgage debt and student loans, and there's good kinds of debt, and how do you navigate that? So I kind of narrowed it down. Well, credit card debt, right? So 45% of people have some amount of credit card debt, and if you have credit card debt, the average is about $15,000. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of a problem. And so I had the working title, get this, Stuck in Debt. But I did not want to preach to 45% of you. And so, and, and even then, even when it comes to debt, I don't know all the factors, all the reasons, all the medical history. There, there might be legitimate reasons to be in debt, and there's nothing you could do about it. So I didn't want to go there because I don't really know everyone's situation. And so I found one common factor among all of us. One common factor. And it starts with you understanding this about yourself. 
First thing I want you to remember for today is that everyone has a complicated relationship with money. Every one of us has a complicated relationship with money to the point where if you were to go on Facebook and indicate to the world that you have a relationship with money, you would have to qualify it as it's complicated. It's complicated. Here's why. Here's why. You see, we can judge each other all day long about how we spend our money. Well, there they go, buying another car. There they go, taking another vacation. There they go, buying their cars and their shoes and all this stuff. Wow, what a waste of money. And by, I mean, meanwhile, they're looking at you. Wow, what a waste of money. They just keep going on these little short trips, and they don't mean anything. And they keep saving their money. What's that about? And, like, they're judging you back. So we have different views on money, and it's complicated to get down to the heart and core of it. Gender-wise, we're, we're complicated. Like women, I have to pick on the ladies for a second. You go out every week and you buy like all these little things all the time and they start to accumulate and accumulate. And we get in trouble when we don't recognize the one thing that you put up. That, seriously, that happened to me this morning. I was saying good morning to my wife. She didn't say a word back. She just look, kind of looked up. I'm like, what's that? Oh, look at that. It's beautiful. I love it, honey. And it's like, women, it's not fair, okay? You need to give us time to look at all the little things you buy. Men, we just come home and we say, honey, I bought a boat. <laughs> honey, I got us a new TV. Honey, I got a computer. Honey, I got a snowmobile. Like, we don't shop very often, but when we do, it's big. And the ladies are like, you need to talk to me first before that, right? And that can kind of cause some tension. We are complicated with the way that we approach money. But here's, here's the simplifying factor. Basically, everyone falls into one of two categories when it comes to your relationship with money. Some of you, half of you maybe, are what we call savers. You like to save money. You don't like spending it. You would just rather save, save, save. And the other half are spenders. Your relationship with money is, I have it. Why do I still have it? I can get things with it. And so you like to get rid of it and get new things instead. And so there's like this spectrum, right? Now, a little exercise here, and you don't have to participate if you feel awkward, but if you, if you want to have some fun, everyone raise your hand. If you want to play along, everybody, everybody raise your hand real quick. This will be over soon. Now, spenders, you've been treated poorly. So you can go ahead and put your hand down. Spenders, I feel sorry for you. You get a bad rap. Um, you're the guys who are always getting us in trouble. Now, I want you to look around at the hands that are still up. Come on, savers. Be proud. Be proud. So the remaining hands up, these are the people who would rather save. Now, I want you to look around because these are the people whom culture favors. Right? I mean, if you're going to have a problem, you'd rather be on the saver side. You can put your hands down. What I want to get at is this. You see, culture often looks at the spenders and they say, oh, they've got a problem. They need to get that under control. They need to see a group. They need to tear up their credit cards, whatever it is. And they look at the savers and they say, why aren't you more like them? Why aren't you more like them? But here's, here's, here's where I'm bringing this today. Whether you're a saver or a spender, you might have a spending problem. Because if you're a spender, obviously you might have a spending problem. If you're a saver, you might have a problem spending. As, as, if God were to speak into this, and if he were to separate the savers from the spenders, I think that's in Matthew chapter 28. That's an inside joke. If he were to separate the savers from the spenders, 
Would he look at the savers and say, oh, wonderful people over here, and then look down on the spenders? I don't think so. It's deeper than that. You see, it's a complicated issue, but it's pretty simple when we get down to really what drives us to save or to spend. Because you know what? God might be pleased with the way a spender is spending their money. And he might not be pleased with the way a saver is saving their money. And if there's one thing you take away from today's message, I'm going to give it to you in like a bottom line. And that way if you tune out, you can kind of at least get something from this message. It's this. And we're going to build on this. If you depend on finances to fix a non-financial problem, you have a spending problem. Whether that's saving or spending, it doesn't matter. If you depend on finances to fix non-financial problems, you have a spending problem. Now here's where I'm going to get out of the way because I need this message preached to myself as much as each and every one of us does. 100% of us at some time have a spending problem because we have this nature to try to use finances to fix non-financial problems. And to give wisdom to this and to flesh this out, we're going to look at one of the most qualified people in all of human history to speak on this topic. A man named Solomon who was king of Israel some 3,000 years ago. Why, what makes him qualified? Because he had access to unlimited wealth. He tried to use finances to fix non-financial problems. He went there, he tried it, and now he wants to open up and say, Dear people, I want you to know what I learned. Now get this, King Solomon, as, as he was looking through his annual income, filling out his taxes, what, I don't know how they track things back then, um, but they measured his income in gold. And they measured his gold by the ton. And his annual income was 25 of those, 25 tons of gold. And in books like Ecclesiastes and even in Proverbs, he'll kind of give hints to this. He'll say, I tried to use finances to fix non-financial problems. I've been there. I've done that. I have not held back anything. I bought anything I wanted to see what it would do and to see what it would have, impact it would have. And so he cautions us then. He says, if you're going to try to do what I did, here's what you need to know. We're going to cut straight to the chase here with Ecclesiastes 5, written by Solomon, starting at verse 10. He cautions, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Um, do you love money? Do you love wealth? We're not going to admit to it. I'll get there in a minute. But to illustrate what he's talking about here, we totally figured this concept out in high school. Or if you're in high school, you're figuring it out as we speak. If you're not in high school yet, sorry. It goes like this. Like you have your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Let's just pretend you have one. Maybe you didn't. That's a diff- uh, maybe that'll be next week. Stuck re- are we going to do that next week? Stuck relationally? We'll see. Um, let's say you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend in high school, and they're your life, they're your love. You kind of know how that high school relationship goes. And then you see them in the lunchroom talking to someone else of the opposite sex, and they're laughing and giggling, <laughs> going like this. And this jealousy wells up inside of you because when you love someone, you don't want any of their adoration or anything going to someone else. When you love them, you want all of them. And you can get this jealousy that, that evokes you to, to just be crabby sometimes, right? Solomon said that's the same thing with money, where if you decide to love money, you will not be content with it unless you have all of it. Now just think about that. Number two on your sheet. Whatever you love, you want all of. 
You will not be satisfied until you have all of it in your possession. And we know that's a tricky thing with wealth and money because unless you're the last person on earth, you cannot have it all. Now, we're a bunch of sanctified people in this room, right? None of us is going to raise our, should we raise our hand? Do you love money? Raise your hand if you love money. No, we're not going to do that. Few of us would say we love money, but here's kind of a quick test to see where your heart is really at. See, I think it's when you lose it that you really start to determine how much you love it. Here's a question for you up on the screen. Did you mourn it when you lost it? Like, when you had money, did you mourn when you lost it? Whether it was stolen from you and you got this really nasty, hateful feeling inside of you. How dare they take what is mine? There's that hatred that wells up. Or when you didn't get what you were owed, when you were shortchanged, did you respond in this anger or hatred or just want to get even? See, I think that's the telling time. When, when you lose it, how do you react? And in that moment, that might tell you just how much you love money. Some of us a lot, some of us a little, some of us are, are pretty content. But we might just say, well, you know what, sure, I love it a little bit, but I can handle it. I can kind of squash that part of me down. And if that's you, Solomon has some words of caution because he tried to do that. He said, I love wealth, I love what it can do for me, but I can keep it in control. What he soon discovered was that he couldn't. He couldn't. He kept buying all these things and surrounding himself with wealth and possessions. And here's his caution. If you think you can keep this love of money under control. He said, as goods increase, as you start to surround yourself, if you're a spender, you surround yourself with possessions. If you're a saver, you surround yourself with wealth. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. There's other people taking what you want. And what benefit are they to the owners except, I love how he phrases this, to feast their eyes on them. When was the last time your eyes said, all right, I'm I'm satisfied. I don't need to see anymore. Like your eyes are this never-ending feast. Like they can go through a Chinese buffet and get their money's worth. They will never be satisfied by what they see. There's always more, always more, always more. And Solomon said that's what it's like when you're accumulating stuff or spending money to get stuff, you'll never be satisfied. It'll always, there'll always be more to have. But you might further say, well, okay, well, sure, that's kind of true, but you see this kind of wealth thing, well, at least it gives me some security. Or if I surround myself with possessions, I'll have plenty of things to take care of me if something would happen, right? We can go on that whole security thing. Well, Solomon says, if that's what you're thinking, you need to be careful, This is what he says next in verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet. Um, In other words, someone who doesn't identify themselves by what they have, but someone who identifies themselves by what they do. The the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, no matter how much they have. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. See, especially back in Solomon's day, if you are really wealthy and really rich, you better sleep with one eye open because as soon as you fall asleep, someone could just walk in and kill you and take your stuff. Not nice, but it happened. And so the wealthy back then, they would, there would be no restful sleep because they're always in fear. Well, what if even one of your close friends decides it's time for a payday, right? And today we're a little bit more buffered than that, but still, there's that fear. What if the market goes down? 
What if there's a catastrophe? What if I have to spend this on medical bills? There's always that fear, even if you have enough, and it robs you of security. So what's he saying to us? He's saying, if you depend on finances to fix non-financial issues, you have a spending problem. Whether you spend it or save it, your relationship is not healthy. You love it. And you want all of it, but you cannot have it. And at this point, he kind of makes this observation. His heart just sinks as he looks at all these people in his day that were in this trap of making more or spending more. And he uses an interesting phrase to describe what he's seeing. He says this, I've seen a grievous evil, this grievous evil. In other words, my heart is just twisted inside of me because of what I see in my world. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. They think that by collecting all these things and by raising their wealth, they'll have a better life. But they don't know that they are destroying their life and the lives of those who love them. It twists his heart inside out to see wealth being hoarded to the destruction of those who owned it. And he goes on, well, that's not it. Even if you do accumulate wealth, next verse, he says, oh, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. And I picture here like someone, a parent who works 60, 70 hours a week, and they say, I know I'm sacrificing time with my family, but one day they'll thank me for all this inheritance they'll get. And then it's all wiped out. So they lost time with their family, and now they lost the wealth too. And it's like, well, this is kind of pointless and useless. Well, what do we do with that, Solomon? What do we do with that then? Should we even have wealth? Should we just sell it all and do whatever? Um, What's the purpose of this? And he's going to double down on that thought. He's like, I know what it sounds like. Like there's no hope in this when it comes to being financially stuck. So he, he says this, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. Put that on Twitter. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. We don't come into the world with anything. We don't have pockets to hold any money. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This is useless. And this, this is where you have to be careful. I came into this world with nothing, and now I have so much. It is mine to use as I please. And Solomon, as, as he maybe writes this, as he's speaking to people about this, he says, we need to qualify this real quick. So he says, hold on, before you take a step further, verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they, to- since they toil for the wind? This is a big, useless conversation to have, he's basically saying, that we come into the world with nothing, we leave with nothing. You might become rich, but you all die poor. It's like we're working, but we're not gaining anything. We're we're putting in hours, but we receive no paycheck at the end. What is the purpose and the role of finances? And I think what he's trying to communicate and uh, spread to the people who's listening, he's saying, now listen, 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 there's a deeper problem here. If you're using your finances, for anything other than problems related to finances, this is going to get you stuck. Maybe the effects by the world standards will be good. You'll have a big savings account because you've been saving. But Solomon says there's a caution that we need to be aware of. 
If you spend all your days just saving, saving, saving because you believe that's where your confidence and your security comes from, Solomon's like, that's not a financial issue. Your safety and your confidence doesn't come from wealth because that can be taken away in a moment. And if you spend, spend, spend your money to get more possessions, to be happy by them, he's, he's like, that's not going to keep you happy. That's not a financial issue. That's going to get you financially stuck. But if you carry this through and if you just keep living your life trying to fix non-financial problems with your finances, Solomon says this is where you can expect to end up. Verse 17. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And those words in darkness kind of caught my attention. It's, kind of, it's almost like that the guy Scrooge. That, I don't even, that's not his name. Is it, is it Scrooge? Ebenezer, there it is. Ebenezer Scrooge. Is Scrooge's last name or is that just a, like a title? I should, I should have done research before. But Ebenezer Scrooge, like he's, eat, he's this rich man, right? But he's eating his supper. And the house is freezing cold. Well, why? Because heat costs money. And he can't, he can't bear to spend money. He's eating with one little tiny candle, just enough to see. Well, why? Because candles cost money. Solomon says, if you go through your life like that, how grievous how senseless. You spend your days in darkness with great frustration, with affliction, with anger, because if you depend on money for what it was not intended to do, you will be angry and frustrated and stuck financially. Whether that's stuck in debt or stuck with riches in your banking account, you will have this spiritual, spiritual issue within your heart. So what I want to where I want to go next is, is simply this, that you see, the problem here is that we've been trying to substitute two things. We might have this problem, and I'll just use the example. Maybe let's say that you're, you're, the problem that you're trying to solve is that you feel empty. You feel lonely. And you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to go get me something real nice to help me with my emptiness and loneliness. And so you go get something nice and it keeps you happy for a day or two and then your loneliness and emptiness kind of comes back. Solomon is saying it, that's a non-financial issue. Why are you trying to fix it with finances or possessions? Someone says, you know what, I'm not sure how long this relationship is going to go with them. Maybe I should start saving up my money so that I have a safety net and so that I can take care of myself just in case. And Solomon would say, that's a non-financial problem. Your safety and security is not in wealth, but you're trying to fix it with wealth. We're making a substitution that doesn't fit. Third thing I want you to remember today is that your spending problem is really a substitution mistake. We're, we're substituting something that does not fit in a problem that money was not meant to solve. And here's where I need to pause and just clarify one other thing real quick. You see, when it comes to you and me loving money, because we all do at different times to some degree, love money, love wealth, love possessions. When it comes to what we love, whatever you love, you want all of it. And Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You want God's stuff. You want a relationship with God's stuff. And that takes you away from a relationship with him. You cannot love both God and stuff. You have to choose one or the other. And, and here's the ugly th result of that is that it causes this separation between us, right? Where 
If we choose money, if, if we look to money to solve our problems, God is saying, I could do so much more for you, and yet you reject me. So what happened? Well, whatever you love, you want all of. And the amazing truth that we see proclaimed is that God loves you. But I don't deserve his love. It doesn't matter if you don't deserve his love. God loves you. And whatever he loves, he wants all of. He doesn't just want an hour from you on a Sunday morning. He wants eternity with you. He wants every moment with you. He wants all of you. And so what he did was he spent a great deal to get you. I love how um, it's stated in 1 Peter, as Peter wrote his letter in the first century, he stated it like this. He said, you were purchased not with gold or silver or any other perishable item. <laughs> the thing being, we love what actually you know, falls apart, Ikea. We, we love these things that perish and fade away, but God spent something on you that never perishes or spoils or fades away. He purchased you through the blood of his son. So that every time we go running to money to fix a problem that is not a financial problem, God says, that takes you further away from me, and I'm going to punish that on my son instead of you. The blood of Jesus is this most precious, valuable thing that God used to purchase you from from loving nothing. So that... As Solomon continues here, he is able to give some good news. You see, Solomon looked at things under the sun. He said, this is meaningless. This, is purpose. this has no purpose. Why do we go chasing money so much? But then he says, there is one thing, one thing I've observed to be good when it comes to the way we spend or save our wealth. And this is what he said, finishing up. He, he said, this is what I have observed to be good. Next verse. He said, it is appropriate, it's good, it's, it's okay for you to do this, for a person to eat, to drink, and before I go on, what he's saying is, it's okay for you to spend your money on a nice steak. It's okay for you to spend your money on a nice drink. It's okay to spend it and enjoy it, but you need to couple it with what comes next. It's okay to use it, it's okay to sp- save it, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. So it's almost as if he's saying, you can enjoy your wealth, you can save it, you can spend it, do whatever you're wired to do under the umbrella of recognizing where you are and how long you have to live. Bottom line, you have a short-term relationship with money and a long-term relationship with God. Enjoy what he has given you in your few days here, but do so recognizing that you have many days ahead of that. He goes on. Moreover, a summary, summary. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and when God gives them the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. This is not a natural thing where we are content with what we have. This is simply a gift of God because he is able to address the problems that your money can't fix. He gives you the ability to see that. And concluding thought, verse 20. Finally, he says, they seldom, those people who have this ability, seldom reflect on the worries, on the days of their life, because God gives them, God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. He says to you, child, you've run after so many things in your life. You've tried to use finances to fix non-financial problems, and it's gotten you stuck. Maybe not stuck financially, but stuck with me. I forgive you, I love you, and let me show you how my love and grace and wisdom can fix what you were trying to solve all that time. 
The last thing I want you to remember, number four for today, God provides all of what money cannot. He really can. He really can. He's not going to pay your, your water bill. That's a financial issue, okay? Don't be praying over your water bill this week. That's not the application. Use your money to pay the water bill. But the non-financial issues, your peace, your security, your value, your emptiness, what is it that you've been trying to throw money after and hasn't worked? That's what God can provide. Now here's your uh, homework, last thought for the day, your homework. Are you a saver? Why are you saving? Are you a spender? Why are you, sa- why are you spending? Do you have a saver and a spender in the same household? Stop fighting. That's the way God made you. But as you consider these things, um, what we often need is for God to align our hearts to be motivated properly either way. So that, yes, we can enjoy what we have or save what we have, but to do so knowing that he has solved any problem that money cannot. And one thing I want you to do, here's your homework. If you just do one thing this week, read Psalm 73. Psalm 73, 7-3. Because this whole psalm is about having a proper relationship with wealth while looking to God to provide everything that finances can't solve. And here's a couple words from Psalm 73 that we'll end with. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the the chance we have to talk openly about things that we don't often talk openly about. Um, it's, It's in this world, in this realm of finances that all of us are a little bit different. All of us are kind of complicated in our relationships with money, but you bring such clarity to this situation Help us to view everything we have, everything we spend, everything we save, knowing that our few days on earth are a gift from you, and so is anything that you give us during these times. Give everyone here the, the wisdom, the faith to, to, uh, to understand what to do with what we've heard today so that we can honor you with all of, we, all of what we have and all of who we are. Bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.